Welcome to 2019 is the podcast at moresportsnow.com. We cover both sides of the Hudson. I'm Steve Titchener in our Jersey studio. And I'm joined by our own Matt Lachlan and John McAlevey. And what better way to kick off 2019 than to talk Big East basketball with John Fanta from the Big East Digital Network. And uh, John, listen, uh, Villanova, you know, is supposed to take a step back. Uh, they play a very good St. John's team last night. We know they weren't supposed to be as uh, uh, as good as last year, but hey, are they still the class of the Big East? They are, Steve, until proved otherwise because of the experience level and the poise down the stretch in that St. John's win that was on display of Phil Booth and Eric Paschal. I thought that St. John's outplayed Villanova for the majority of the game, but that's a testament to Jay Wright and what he continues to manufacture at Villanova. They they just know how to close. They make winning plays, and they turn it up to another level down the stretch. And in that game against St. John, the defense of the Red Storm in the closing minutes was pretty mm-hmm. solid. Mm-hmm. It was just a case of making contested shots. Villanova, uh, there are nights when you could play your A game, but you still might fall to them. And I think that that still follows suit. Now, Jay Wright said after the win, look, I'm asking Booth and Pascal to do too much. We've got to find some other sources. And that's Villanova's problem. I just, the complimentary scoring isn't the same as it's been. Look, when you have four NBA draft picks like you did last year, it's hard to duplicate that the next season. But I would still say that uh, the ability to close out games like they did against St. John's early in conference play, that's a win we could point back to in March uh, that could be key because I think that the regular season champion in this conference this year has 12 wins, maybe 13. There's not a 14-4, and 15-3 and three team, so that's why Villanova getting out in front with, at 3-0, and um, yes, until proven otherwise, they're at the top. You know, John, you mentioned St. John's and playing, outplaying Villanova for most of the game yesterday. I watched it as well. I felt the same thing. I also thought in their other loss this season, they outplayed Seton Hall for most of that game as well. Right. They faltered down the stretch. What we have here is with Chris Mullen and Mitch Richmond, two uh, Hall of Famers uh, and and mostly NBA guys. We know them for their NBA. Uh, obviously, Chris played at St. John's, but they play that five out sort of motion offense, which is sort of a run and gun, three point shooters all around the floor. When the threes are falling, it looks great and you're going to win. But when that three ball doesn't go any longer, which it didn't down the stretch, and then they went for sequences within the four minute mark where it was just one on one basketball, the shot clock yeah. running down, and then firing up terrible shots. That is really what cost them against Seton Hall and then again last night against Villanova. Could not agree more. The sharp contrast between St. John's in one four-minute segment to another at a time, sometimes one possession to the next, and just how poorly they can go when it turns into isolation ball. Yeah. Now they have they have an All-American. They have the Big East player of the year frontrunner in Shamari Pons, but Sometimes it can be to a fault on possessions where it's for watching Shamari try to do his thing. And if I'm St. John's point, you've you got to look at the film, and you've got to be able to see that because it's, it's what's losing you games right now. You lost a 14-point lead to Seton Hall. Uh, you were up double digits with about five minutes left in that game. And last night you were up eight on Villanova. 
in in the back half of the second half, and they just couldn't close it out because they had empty possessions. Yeah. And if you have empty possessions in the Big East Conference on the road, you are not going to win. No, and you know what else I think could come back to bite them is the the true lack of a true uh, per, uh, uh, in, interior player. I know they got CDK to back. He's had some knee problems, but they don't have a low post guy that they can throw the ball into and then surround him with those sharp shooters that they have, and that could come back to bite them in the end as well. It may not come back to bite them in the Big East, but when they get to the NCAA tournament and you're facing SEC potentially Big 12, Big 10. Uh, those leagues have strength in the paint this year. The Big East, if there's one area that I would say at the conference is especially down in this year, it's big men. Look, you lost Omari Spellman who went to the NBA, and you lost the conference's all-time rebounder in Seton Hall's Angel Delgado. So down low, outside of Georgetown's Jesse Govan, the conference has a hole in it in the paint. Uh, so St. John's can get through the Big East, I think, without having a, a top interior presence. But look, when you hit the hardwood for the NCAA tournament, sometimes you're facing a different monster athletically. John, uh, Nova's won four straight now. Uh, have they put that early season malaise, so to speak, behind them? I don't think that. And the reason why I don't think that is because I still see some flaws. Okay, I think Phil Booth made two really, really tough threes that do not go on the road in the Big East. Uh, I think if Villanova's at St. John's last night, Villanova loses, just, just because that's how it would be. I am really curious to see Villanova at Creighton this weekend, and I'll, I'll make a bold prediction, and I'm going to say that that will be the Cats' first conference loss mm. because I do think it's a tough matchup for Villanova this time around. Against Offensive teams that are in rhythm, like Marquette, like Creighton. Um, Georgetown could actually be another this year because they've actually got point guard play, and they're playing better offensive basketball. Uh, Butler can get hot from three. They have before at Hinkle against Villanova. I'm not ready to say that yet because I still see some characteristics of, of Villanova come out at times that I'm not I'm not so certain on. Uh, they get too reliant on the two veterans. And uh, it's it's them and, and nobody else. So I wonder that about Villanova. I don't think it's it's behind them. I'm not ready to say that quite yet. And I think that this weekend at Creighton could show some of those flaws come out. John, in, in addition to your work uh, with the Big East Digital uh, Network, you're also on Fox Sports 1 and you host the uh, Big East Talk on Shoot Around Live every Thursday on the Fox Sports app. So you are totally into the college basketball season. you got to be just jacked because when we get to January, that's when everything heats up. Let's talk a little bit about something else you've been doing lately, working on Seton Hall basketball games on the radio. And uh, we were talking before we went on the air, Gary Cohn, who does the play-by-play. His daughter's getting married. He's in Australia enjoying that ceremony. So Dave Popkin slides over a chair. You slide into Dave's position. Tonight, Seton Hall plays Butler at the Rock. What can we expect? We can expect an elite point guard for Butler when uh, this is a kid that has extremely good um, awareness of where he is on the floor and really good decision-making skills. So we can expect a point guard matchup that is must-see because you've got Kamar Baldwin 
on one side, leads Butler in points, one of the best addition it off in the Big East. And on the other side, you've got Quincy McKnight, who has added a defensive element to the point guard spot for Kevin Willard. That has been the biggest surprise for the Seton Hall team. They did not know what they would get out of point guard Quincy McKnight, as well as the freshman Anthony Nelson. And, and McKnight has been able to deliver for this Pirate team, especially on defense, but occasionally the offensive end. If, if Pirate fans remember Madison Jones uh, from a couple mm-hmm. years ago, this is this is a better version of Madison Jones, I would say. That, that's what I would compare McKnight to, nine points per game. He's got 47 assists on the season, so about three per game. He, he's been a steady hand. So I really look out for that, and I expect a grind. Uh, I expect a game in the 60s that is down to the wire. Yeah, because Butler plays D. They like that slower pace. Absolutely. They play D. They're among the top defensive teams in the Big East once again, and I expect no different in this one. So the question always then becomes, can Miles Powell get to 22 points, which is his average, but can he do it efficiently? And they do a nice job of freeing him up, but Butler's going to zone in on him. Uh, They have Aaron Thompson. He's a sophomore guard. And Greg McDermott, the Creighton coach who played Butler on Saturday, said that Aaron Thompson and Kamar Baldwin combined to be the best defensive backcourt in the Big East. So the challenge for Seton Hall, which is a defense-first team, guys, but has been able to find offense here and there. Tonight, can they get it against a really good Butler team that guards the ball well? And this is where Miles Powell, the efficiency factor, is what I'm most intrigued by. Can he be able to do it in an efficient fashion and john like villanova we were expecting seton hall to take a big step back with everybody that they lost absolutely we knew how good miles powell was but who what kind of support was he going to get are you surprised so far and then of course there was a hiccup against depaul we need to talk about that as well they did come back down to earth in that one on sunday against the depaul team that's improved that has a couple of veterans and Eli Kane and Max Drews, two seniors mm-hmm. and experience wins in the Big East. DePaul actually has more experience than Seton Hall. Those two came out, they got off to a hot start and Seton Hall had some wasted possessions. And the final possession, look, uh, Kevin Willard even said he, he would have rather had Sandro Mamukalashvili take it to the rim or for mm-hmm. Miles Powell to get a touch. You, you got to get Powell a touch in that yeah. situation, I, I believe. But what I would say, guys, is I am I am surprised. And if you're not surprised, I'm not sure how you couldn't be. Because, uh, look, it's very difficult for a player to go from being a, a B or C guy on some nights or a D guy in some instances. Like Miles Powell, at times, was Seton Hall's best player last year, but at times it was Kadeem Carrington. On another night, it's Angel Delgado. It's very difficult to go from, oh, okay, tonight I'll be like the third best player on the floor, tonight I, I will be the best player to always having to be the best player on the floor. And when I talked to Miles Powell last week, actually caught up with him in the hotel lobby after the win at Xavier, he said, you know what? He goes, this team, they have one agenda, and that is to win. And he said, I am here to make winning plays. And that's true. He has 41 assists on the year. He had eight against Xavier last week on the road because he passed up his shots, which were good shots. He passed up good shots for great shots by finding his teammates and by finding a core that has four players averaging nine or more points per game on top of Powell. So they found some balance. Uh, They have a seasoned veteran inside in Michael Enzi. And then I think what this season will come down to is the two sophomores, Mamukalashvili and Miles Kale. 
when those two are on, Seton Hall has second weekend potential in the NCAA tournament. John, talk about Torian Thompson. I mean, here's a guy who I saw play in the prep ranks two years ago, and he was the best player on the floor. He combined with yeah. Alpha Diallo, who's a, who's at Providence right now. The two of them were amazing. But Torian Thompson was the best player there. And there were coaches from North Carolina, from, from SEC schools, from ACC schools that were drooling for him. Of course, he chooses Syracuse, and he has a terrific freshman season. He's a local kid. He, something goes wrong there. Maybe he wants to come back home and play closer to home at Seton Hall. And for one reason or another, he just really hasn't been able to make his mark yet. But once he does, that gives them an element inside of a guy who's sort of a 3 and D mode. He can hit three-point shots. He has great post moves. And he can block a lot of shots. Talk about his progression. Uh, right now, Torian Thompson could be as good as Topps Diner in Newark or as bad as the McDonald's <laughs> in Newark Penn Station. I mean, it's it's kind of frenetic, guys. So, And I think that Kevin Willard's trying to reel that in. This is a kid with a really unique skill set. You just watch. All you have to do is watch him for a minute to find that out because he's he's got a very unique game. He's 6'11", but he prefers the perimeter. He can pull up on the baseline or from 15 feet away on the elbow. Or he could take the ball and put it on the floor. Um, really, really unique in that regard. And Jim Beheim at Syracuse had trouble trying to, to figure out a way to get that uh, to turn into consistent results. I think that Kevin Willard has, has been able to get it more consistently. And Thompson's playing better as a late. Had a good game at DePaul and played some key minutes at Xavier. But now they've got to get him to select the right shot. Mm. Uh, there have been moments in games where he's taken some some tough shots, and as a result, he's sat on the bench because you're playing around a team that that takes solid shots. That's that's the only way Kevin Willard wants it. So, I think for Thompson, it's more of a mental game than anything. Um, he's he's got to know when the right time is to put the ball on the floor and pull up himself. Because when you've got Miles Powell, Miles Cal on the floor with you at the same time, and you're six foot eleven, put the ball on the floor and then pull up from fifteen feet. The ball might go in the bucket, but that's not going to work every time down. Yeah, so what are you doing, lad? What are you doing? Yeah, it, it's very difficult. I I don't know what you do with him. That's why he's only playing twelve and a half minutes per game right now, according to to the stats. I mean, this is a guy that's not getting a heavy minutes load because it's tough to rely on him in the final five minutes of a game if he's going to make those decisions. Mm. You know, you talked about Miles Powell, and look, he's having a great year, and there's no question. And I don't know that anybody saw this season uh, emerging from Seton Hall. Anyone who's saying that is either the biggest cockeyed pirate optimist (laughs) in the world or someone who wasn't following the team recently, and especially last year when all those great seniors graduated. My point is, though, you see it all in sports, John. You don't know sometimes what a player is or has until he steps out of the shadows. Now, you know, he wasn't buried in the shadows last year, but it wasn't his team. It was those seniors' teams. It was Delgado's team and Carrington's team, et cetera. It, Rodriguez, that, it was their team. And now it's his team. And, you know, sometimes players defer in the mildest of ways, whether it's on the court or in the dressing room or whatever it is. And now this, to me, this is, well, 
biggest understatement. This is Miles Powell's team, and I think we're seeing the the player that got overlooked in the recruiting process that Seton Hall was more than happy to grab. Again, it's a bit of a shocker to see them get off to the start they've had with the the wins they've put up this season. Uh, But maybe he just needed for the spotlight to be almost entirely on him for people to realize how good – he is, or or for even himself to know what he would be able to do. It's his it's his show with a big complimentary cast, as you mentioned. If Kale comes alive uh, and and continues to improve, and I think uh, Mamu's shown me more than I thought he might off of last year's performance. Right. You know, there's no question that this this could be a a pretty special, as you said, maybe second weekend team for for Seton Hall. Well, I asked Kevin Willard in the preseason about Miles Powell, and I said, when you recruited him, did you think he could be an A-type player? He goes, I knew he could be an A-type scorer, but I didn't know he could be an A-type playmaker. Mm-mm, big that's distinction. That's part yeah. of his game that's really evolved. Shaheen Holloway was a big part of that. Shaheen's now the head coach at St. Peter's, but was the associate head coach up until uh, just this past spring before taking the job. And, and Miles Powell and Shaheen Holloway had a really close relationship. Shaheen drove Miles. This is a kid, again, like Matt just said, this is a kid that was a three-star out of high school and got overlooked by a lot of people, Trent Catholic. But this is what Seton Hall has done. They know they probably can't get the four- and the five-star kids. So they say to themselves, can we get three stars, and can we get them to become four-star players? So talent development has played a key role in this. But what I would also add is this. This is nothing against the graduates of last year's all-time senior class that that achieved the Big East Championship, the three consecutive NCAA tournament berths. But here's the thing. And rightly so, those guys had professions on their minds. They were trying to get to the next level. That, That was obviously a part of what they were doing last year. Yes, while they're trying to win for Seton Hall, they also have it in mind of, look, we're getting scouted. We're trying to get to the NBA. We're trying to to get to the next level and and worry about the rest of our lives as well. That creates agendas on a roster. Just naturally it does. This Seton Hall team has none of that. They have none of that, and so they have nothing to lose. Miles Powell has nothing to lose because people didn't expect him to be as good as he's been. He saw it in himself. His confidence is through the roof. But when you don't have those agendas and you have a team that has just really solid role players around a star and a team that puts defense first in college basketball, that's going to win more times than it loses. And that's why Seton Hall has been able to put together a really special season and is a contender in the Big East. You know, John, Matt mentioned uh, on the intro that I am a 1990 graduate of Providence College, and my freshman year was the Rick Pitino Final Four season, and uh, Marty Conlon was wow. my Marty Conlon was my roommate for a couple of years. So, and Johnny, where are they this year so far? Yes, this is well. This is the the reason why I'm I, I want to get John pinned down here. I, I follow you on Twitter, John, and I know that you have a bit of an affinity for Friartown. And first of all, tell us about your special relationship with Ed Cooley. If you get to know Ed Cooley, then you automatically have a special relationship with him because that's the kind of person Ed Cooley is. Yeah. He, he just he embraces any and all. I mean, his his beat writers, his radio guys, you name it. You're just you just become close with him because that's the kind of person he is. Eddie 
has done such a great job at Providence College. The five straight NCAA tournaments, they are struggling this year. They yes. are absolutely struggling this year. Yes. And, and they are another case of when you have youth in the Big East, it's going to be hard to win. Yes. Uh, David Duke David Duke has struggled to score. The top-tier recruit, he's just struggled to put the ball in the basket. And A.J. Reeves had a tough, uh, a tough leg injury that still has him sidelined for another couple weeks. So mm-hmm. you're missing your two your two pillars in your backcourt. Yes. So they're they're going through a tough time right now. Now Ed has started 0 and 2 in Big East play before and has made the NCAA tournament. He started 1 and 4 one year and made the tournament. So, you know, not all hope is lost, but Providence is at Georgetown this weekend and Providence has to win that game. No they doubt. They have to win that game. Yeah, they have to win that. You know, one guy that sort of gets lost in the shuffle that uh, Big East fans will remember from a couple of years ago that unfortunately had a very serious uh, internal stomach uh, ailment last year uh, and that Ed was really thinking that he was going to get back this year to be a, a senior influence is Emmett Holt and he just is not healthy again to get back on the basketball court and I think that his loss is really something that's hamstrung this team as well. No doubt about it. And Emmett will not be playing the rest of this year which which is just tough because those bad injuries has kept him from, from really uh, participating in basketball activities. But that kid was a third-leading scorer uh, two short years ago and could stretch the floor, uh, good defender, and, and just embody that Ed Cooley physicality. So they have missed that in a big way, guys. And I, I'm, I'm not sure how Providence overcomes it this year. They, they've got injuries. They've got youth. Um, so it's it's going to be tough for them to be able to get past all that. They've got Nate Watson and and uh, Khalif Young in the post, and those guys, they're solid posts, but they really they need the guard play to benefit from. And Providence isn't getting enough from their backcourt, and they're not they're not really um, it, at the end of the day. It may sound cliche, but uh, like their assist totals lacking this year. Well, that's because they just don't have shot makers. That's I it. mean, sometimes they're set. Sometimes they're setting up guys for shots, but the ball's just not going in. Offensively, they've been dreadful at times. They have. Uh, so they they're, they're struggling to really put all that together. That first half against Villanova was hard to watch. In fact, I I didn't. I I fast forwarded to the second half on that. But as, as you say, you know, uh, coaching basketball myself at the youth level, I tell the kids on my team, you know. At some point, fellas, we got to ring the bell. And if you can't ring the bell and put the ball in the basket, you, then you're going to have to be superhuman on the other end of the floor. And oftentimes, that's not the case with young players. But yeah, it's going to be a yeah. long season. Uh, as of now, it's a long season uh, for PC. I had one more question for you. How about we head out to the Midwest and the job that Steve Wojciechowski's doing at Marquette? You know, Marcus Howard gets all of the headlines, but the Hauser brothers are really two guys that can stretch the floor, play inside and out. What do you see from the Golden Eagles headed forward? And John Fanta, if you can give us a little preview of Saturday's game because the Hall will be uh, playing Marquette on Saturday afternoon. First off, Marquette is a completely different team at home than they are on the road. Undefeated. And, and, and exactly. And that, and that is uh, really showed by what they have done in their 12 wins the Golden Eagles have 213 fast break points. 213 fast break points in their 12 wins. Wow. In their three losses all the way from home, the Golden Eagles have three fast break points. Why? Why, why the difference? 
That's vast. They have not been able to put it together away from home. And Hmm. that's why I want to see them tonight. They are at Creighton in a big game in Omaha because Creighton is a team that could be in the top five in the Big East. So can they show it in this one? But here's the thing. Creighton plays a style that would make you think Marquette's going to find fast break points against them. Because they should. It should come easy. But it is, it's a mentality thing. And Steve Wojciechowski, after a blowout loss at St. John's last week, just said, you know what? My team's too experienced now to be falling flat on their face on the road. We, we just got, we got our behinds kicked. We could not put it together. Uh, we, we need to be tougher. He, just, he kept on saying we need to be tougher. Now, at home, where they've been unbeaten, where they've beaten Wisconsin, Kansas State, Buffalo, they're a different monster because one three goes in and they come in bushels. They make a 10 nothing run look like it's absolutely nothing. So Seton Hall has to guard the perimeter against Marquette on Saturday, and they might guard the perimeter well and still give up threes. They've got to try and take the perimeter away. They need Quincy McKnight to be a lead on defense like he's been, but they need him to be a lead on defense against uh, Marcus Howard. But I agree with you guys about the Hauser brothers. When you ask coaches about what makes Marquette so effective, in the past they said Sam Hauser. Well, now Marquette has not one but two Hausers. Joey uh, also adds a perimeter game, but also has has a back-to-the-basket game that's really skillful, uh, can, can post up, can pull up on that. Um, so he's a really versatile piece for them. They're getting more production out of a Nebraska transfer, Ed Morrow, who's added a sense of toughness, a sophomore down low in Theo John. It's tough. They're, they're a monster. Marquette on paper is a monster. They haven't been able to put it together on the road, which is why I think for Marquette, it's a huge game at Creighton tonight. Because, okay, if you get your clocks cleaned at Creighton, now you've played two Big East road games, and both times you've just fallen flat on your face, and people aren't going to fear you when you come on the road. You went to Indiana, you didn't compete. So, you're, yeah, you're good at home. That means nothing when you get to the big dance floor. So Marquette's got to show that they can do it, or the, or the Big East tournament for that matter. Marquette's got to show that they can do it away from home. But against Seton Hall on Saturday in Milwaukee, for Seton Hall, you really want to get past Butler tonight because you're staring at a three-game losing streak heading to Milwaukee on Saturday. And oh, how suddenly things can change in the Big East. It's, it's amazing yeah. how that goes. Hey, John, it's good to see the old classic teams at the top of the conference. Villanova, Seton Hall, St. John's. What about Georgetown? Is there an awakening in D.C.? What do you see there? Uh, There's signs of it's it's like the eight-year-old kind of on the third week of school, and he was excited the first week of school, but now it's kind of tough to wake him up. But he's still showing signs that he wants to go. That's where I'm kind of at with Georgetown. Um, there are signs of life, and that was showed on Saturday. They they had it. They had it against St. John's. They were up by mm-hmm. two with 15 seconds left, but they couldn't close it out. And it's kind of more the same that the Patrick Ewing era has brought the, uh, thus far. There's some signs of promise, but they've had trouble closing games out. I think they are better. I think they could finish sixth in the league this year, and I really do think that. I, mm-hmm. I would say that they end up finishing seventh or eighth just because of the struggles to close games out, but this is a huge week for them and really a huge four games for them. And I say that because think about this. They're at Xavier uh, on Wednesday. 
Xavier might be the worst team in the conference this year, guys. They just can't put it together. They've struggled with turnovers. Mm -hmm. So that's a really winnable opportunity Mm -hmm. for Georgetown. Then they host Providence. That's a loss. And the way Providence is playing, that could be a win in D.C. They host Marquette. Now, Marquette's different on the road than at home. And then they get uh, almost a week to host Creighton. And if you're going to make a move in the conference and be fifth or sixth, you're Georgetown, then you got to be Creighton at home because you're not going to be Creighton in Omaha in all likelihood. Um, there's a stretch, though, from January 15th to 27th up until the St. John's game at the Garden. They only play twice in 12 days. That's good for a young team. It's good for a young team to, to not have as much practice time. They actually have a double bye. So I'm interested to see how they handle that. I think for Georgetown, now is the time for them to turn a corner. Their schedule gets a little bit more friendly, and, and they can do that. They're 1-1 one one in the conference. Big game tonight at Xavier, one that if Georgetown wants to turn a corner, I think if they're going to get a road win, this is the time to do it tonight. You know, John, you mentioned earlier the Big East tournament. Now, how just how important was it for this conference to sign that extension with Madison Square Garden to be able to keep the Big East tournament, which we've all grown up with and have loved for many years, to keep it there at the Mecca, at the world's most famous arena, when all of the Sharks are sniffing around trying to get their tournament in there on that oh, oh precious week that uh, that the Big East has always owned. How, how important was that, and how proud are the folks at the Big East that they were able to get that done? It's very important because both Jim Delaney, the Big Ten commissioner, and John Swafford at the ACC, they both made a push. That push was real. Mm-hmm. It happened in the off season, and they expected to push the Big East out of the garden. They thought that it could come that easy. But uh, Executive Vice President Joel Fisher at Madison Square Garden and uh, and Val Ackerman are very close friends. And Madison Square Garden values its tradition. And they know that if the Big East was not at the garden, it would not feel the same for both them for the Big East, and that they would take a lot of heat over that. Mm. All those things, the relationships, the tradition of the conference, nearly 40 years at the Garden, uh, there, there is every intent in the world that the Big East is going to stay at Madison Square Garden. And I'm going to say that the deal, the extension, comes down to this. Jim Dolan went to the Big East tournament last March. He went to the semifinal, and then he came back the next night for the final. He dedicated two straight nights. Uh, and for Jim Dolan to be at the Garden like that, that much for a non-Knicks game, that said it all. It said it all the send all. I know for a fact that Jim Dolan at one point said, hey, what's the situation with the Big East? He, he wanted to know. So the extension came all the way from the top. Uh, when Jim Dolan is at the Big East tournament in person, sitting there watching his building get sold out, he's a pretty happy man. He saw some the Big very- Ten- yeah, he saw yeah. some great games, too. The semifinals and the finals were terrific games last year. And boom, terrific. take that, Jim Delaney. Boom, take that, John Swafford. Let's go Big East. That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, John. Well, I could tell you, it's interesting with the ACC. There's a man that loves the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden, Jim Beheim. And all I'll say is this. He had a little something to do with that push. Oh, okay, sure. sure. No question. Hey, John, is there a sleeper team that we're not talking about? Is it DePaul, possibly? It's not DePaul. I would still say right now it's Butler. I still think Butler's a sleeper uh, just because they got blown out by – they lose to Georgetown, their conference opener. So you're thinking, oh, man, what are they doing? They're 10-5. They're and five. Uh, They could beat Seton Hall tonight. 
They really could. They're, Butler is 4-1 and one at the Rock. 4-1 and one at the Prudential Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only loss came last year on Seton Hall Senior Night. So this is a really, really critical game for both sides because Butler's been able to get the best of Seton Hall in their building. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dogs the dogs are that team still because they have elite point guard play who's also a playmaker in Kamar Baldwin. And they guard you as well as anybody in the conference. So I, I think that that's a team that could be a sleeper still. And one more from me, John, and you knew it was coming. I'm a Rutgers alum. I'll be at the rack tonight. They play a very difficult Ohio State team. So uh, what what do you think of the job Steve Peichel's done? And what do you think of the trajectory of the program? What are your thoughts on Rutgers? Well, I think they have two Big Ten players in Eugene Amaroy and Geo Baker. Beyond those two, I wonder at, at times in terms of the trajectory, the depth factor is an issue. Scoring the ball can be an issue. If teams zone in on Baker, how else can they affect the game? Uh, because Amarori does a lot in the post. Can make the three. Has made 12 on the year. But uh, outside of those two players, I, I just I think that, that that's where the questions begin. And here's the thing with Rutgers. How long are we going to say that they're heading in the right direction? At, at a certain point, you've got to be able to back it up with some results. And I understand. I think Rutgers is better than they've been. I think that showed in that win over Miami on the road. But then you give it back after you perform the way you do against Michigan State and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You can't lose at Fordham. No. You can't lose at Fordham. That is a that's a brutal, brutal loss against one of the worst programs in the New York City area. You barely get by a Columbia team that's not very good. So and struggled against Maine too from the first half. So really struggled so, against. Them. So I think yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not going to say here right now that the program's heading in the right direction because I've yet to see the consistency factor come out of them. They need to get an early conference state win. Ohio State's tough, but look, at Minnesota, at Purdue, could it be argued as tough? Those teams are, are there in the conversation receiving votes. You know, and then you have Northwestern January 18th, so it's like you, you got to get that Big Ten victory, mm-hmm. uh, and this is this will be one of your better chances to do it. Actually, I think uh, you need that rack crowd growing, and you've got to be able to find scoring that can be somewhat consistent. Uh, I like Steve Peichel, but I think the the brand of recruiting could be questioned here at times, just because it's like you've got to you've got to be able to turn a corner on the recruiting trailway a little bit more, and then consistency. It's it's a question because. You've, you've shown some promise, but then you've also had major slip-ups. That loss to Fordham is really it's, it's mm-hmm. tough to forgive. And fans are ready to come out, sell out at Michigan with Michigan State at, at the rack, uh, s- sell out against Rutgers Maryland, back. which was a disappointing performance. I mean, they just got blown out after a nice start. So, uh, but the fans are ready to come out. And, you know, again, they'll have a nice crowd tonight too. I'll be there. But uh, again, uh, you know, the Big Ten is uh, up and down. It's just a, a very good conference. Hey, well, I'm a Seton Hall alum, and I'll, I'll sit here right now and say I credit Rutgers fans. I think uh, Rutgers special for sticking with their teams for highs and lows. So I will give credit to their fan base. 
Well, John, we appreciate your time. It was only a couple of years ago that you were in the student section at The Rock for some of these games, and now you've blossomed on the national scene, and it is absolutely fantastic to see. Your joy uh, around college basketball is infectious. Your knowledge is sublime, and uh, we appreciate a few moments of your time. I will not be at The Rock tonight. We're just off an eight-game road trip. You know, you got to keep the home fires burning once right. in a while. So I will be watching and listening because I am a radio guy at heart, WSOU guy like you so i will be listening to you and dave popkin but I'll also be thanks, tuning in Matt. on fs1 and we appreciate a few moments of your time today hey john thanks, thanks guys all right thanks, take care john. keep up awesome. the good work all right bye-bye thank you and that was john fanta from the big east digital network good job by him that was the stuff yeah also on fox i mean mm -hmm. he's everywhere right yeah. he does a lot of good work mm -hmm. uh working on tonight's seton hall butler game on yeah. the radio side and truly i mean he has just leaped onto the national scene he had all that hard work uh, put in in his days at Seton Hall, and it's paid off yeah. early in spades. And, you know, he's one of those guys, we probably won't be able to get him in like 20 years. He'd be like, I don't right. know if I can squeeze you into, <laughs> right. into, into my schedule. I'm so busy. Right. Kind of kidding. John's a good guy, and well, I've gotten to know him a little well, bit. Well, basketball's on. Were you concerned about the loss to DePaul? A little uh, bit, because DePaul, uh, look, they're terrible. I mm -hmm. mean, it's amazing how poor that program is year in and year out. There is absolutely zero, no atmosphere in that building. Mm -hmm. That being said, get it, get on track this give, evening. Give, you know, right? give DePaul credit. They came up yep. with the victory. Uh, yep. So I was a little surprised, yes. And it does put a lot of pressure on Seton Hall tonight because Marquette sure. will not be easy on Seton Johnny, you're a little flat on Providence, but you know what I know of them is you're usually flat on them, and then they, they make a run late in the season, just as John was saying. Yes, but, you know, their they're highly talented uh, freshman class is not really living up to the billing right now. One of the two uh, two players were chosen to be freshman uh, of the year. One of them is David Duke at Providence. The other one is Javon Quinterly, who's at Villanova, who's had a hard time getting his sea legs going. He played well um, uh -huh. on Tuesday night against St. John's. However, one of our other good players has a stress fracture in his foot. He's missing some time. But, yeah, they're a little flat right now. Like Seton Hall, they lost a big chunk of their starting mm -hmm. lineup from last year. Yeah. And uh, John mentioned, you know, don't sleep on Ed Cooley. He started out 0-2 and 1-4 right. and in conference play. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that he can put uh, Humpty Dumpty back together here and soon. And as John said, you never know in the Big East. You know, there's so many you know, so many scenarios. And it, it starts tonight, so that's uh, it, it's exciting. Uh, it's exciting uh, basketball, college basketball in January, February, and uh, March for that matter. And we will certainly be covering it. I'll be at the rack tonight. Uh, we're just uh, hoping that uh, Rutgers shows up and, uh, again, Ohio State a tough team. And, and we'll see how that goes. And that'll do it for the first podcast of 2019. This is moresportsnow.com. I'm Steve Titchener here with Matt Lachlan and John McAlevey. And we'll catch you next week. Another thank you to John Fanta from the Big East Digital Network for joining us today. And we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.